Welcome to Inspiring People and Places, where we interview national leaders in the architectural, engineering, construction, and development industry in an effort to educate, innovate, and inspire industry professionals to disrupt the status quo, improve their project teams, and steward public and private investments more effectively. I'm your host, BJ Kramer, President and CEO of MCFA. Allow me to introduce today's guest. I am excited to welcome to the show Anthony Schultz. Before I bring him on, uh, a couple of things. One is this this is part of a, uh, I think, a four or five part series we're doing in honor of Veterans Day in November, uh, talking about DOD to AEC, Department of Defense to Architect, Engineering, Construction. Uh, we have a few of these episodes before, but we really wanted to highlight veterans that made the transition from uh, really the the uniform service and and in most cases some kind of engineering inside of the uniform services to moving into uh, the AEC industry, whether that's public sector or private sector. The second part is we talk a lot about entrepreneurial public servants on the on the podcast, and uh, Anthony represents this from the first time I met him. Uh, he had this blend of visionary and executor. Um, so a little bit of planner, a little bit of architect, a little bit of entrepreneur in him uh, that has been blended into you know, the practicality and pragmatic of a public servant inside of an organization that can sometimes be bureaucrat- bureaucratic. Uh, so I'm very excited for this conversation. Welcome to the show, Anthony Strelitz. Hey, BJ. It's, it's great to be here. I appreciate it. Uh, I know you've asked several times, but uh, I think this is a, a, a great opportunity, um, especially for Veterans Day, uh, both of us being veterans and, and serving veterans. I think this is great. And I, I look forward to the conversation we're about to have. Me too. Uh, so we're going to jump right in. We always talk about really what brought you to your career, uh, where you are today as the chief engineer. Uh, at VA Long Beach Medical Center for the VA. So um, you're continuing to serve our veterans in a different organization, different mission. But really, before we go there and what you're doing today and what your priorities are and and the challenges that you deal with at the VA, uh, give our audience a little bit of the career path, your upbringing, what led you into uh, kind of the Army and the engineering branch and uh, what brought you to today. Yeah, so so ever since I was a kid, I, I was always fascinated with engineering. You know, I mean, I would pull things apart. I remember little radios and little gadgets and things like that to understand how they work. Uh, I was also very fascinated with, um, uh, I, I guess you, would, I almost say like fighting or warfare, but I, I was just uh, enamored by the people that served our country and the dedication and selfless service that they had. Uh, my grandfather was in the Navy. Um, uh, I had an uncle who fought in Vietnam. And, you know, so, so it was a blending of that. And then, and, uh, which will also tie in my, both my parents are, are, are physicians and I grew up in a hospital. And so it all comes together now that I'm a chief engineer at, at a VA medical center. But as I was growing up, um, engineering uh, just suited me, and uh, the the civil side was was the biggest one because it was just physical, um, uh, the physicality of it, being able to build bridges and things like that. And I remember one quote; uh, it was from a movie, The Ghost in the Darkness. Val Kilmer was in there, and in one of the scenes, he's telling uh, one of uh, somebody 
about why, what drives him and about building bridges. And he said, it's, it's about, you know, I'm able to bring land over water and connect people. And, hmm. and, and, and that's, that's kind of what, you know, we try to do as engineers is make, make life better. Uh, for people and uh, and bring great uh, things to to be able to to their lives, and so uh, throughout my career, you know, it, when I got into college, um, you know, it, engineering, I went to Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute, and and you know, it was a great marriage between you know being in the service. I was in ROTC. That's how I got my commission. Um, and I always like to say Rensselaer is the second oldest engineering school in the country, first, <laughs> both on the Hudson. That's right. Other one being West Point, of course. So you're, you're, you're New York. <laughs> so, so, uh, uh, the, uh, so, so that's what, that's what drove me. And then when I joined the army, it was just a camaraderie, uh, the leadership I learned, uh, the, the sense of mission and, um, and working with other great, uh, people. And then uh, towards my latter portion of my career, I was able to uh, be a part of the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers side uh, of, of the, uh, uh, the engineering uh, corps and learned a lot about the civil works and, and the services that the Corps of Engineers provides to our country. I mean, you know, we've been here since the beginning of, of our country and uh, serving it and uh, building it better. And so, you know, I really enjoyed that. And when I left the service, um, I had opportunities to, to go to other commercial, uh, you know, companies and things like that. But I just didn't fully get the feel uh, of, of that sense of service that I still wanted to provide back to the, uh, you know, our veterans. And I had an opportunity. I was actually hired for one job and then I got the opportunity to join the VA. And I quickly turned that down and joined the VA as an engineer and worked my way up through it. And, you know, I just found it to be exactly what I wanted. One, it was helpful that, you know, I, I was already used to government operations. Right. That was key. But the sense of, and the marriage coming together of finally, you know, both, as I said, both my parents were, were physicians and I, you know, I would always go to the hospital with my dad when I was a kid, you know, now being in a hospital and my engineering, bringing it all together and um, bringing my particular way of doing things. I'm a very holistic looking person covering, covering the comprehensive uh, needs. Uh, you know, I always say that when we come to a VA hospital, as soon as a veteran, oh, it's actually virtually too, but, but as soon as they come onto the campus, they are need, they're in a healing environment. And it, it's every aspect of it. It isn't just about seeing somebody in an exam. It's when you walk onto a campus and if you see things not maintained, um, that directly goes to the experience that the patient is having of, are they going to get it good, good health care here if they can't even take care of uh, the grass? And right. so, uh, you know, simple things, but, um, uh, you know, that, that is we are the first thing that they see and, and maintaining it and, and giving the, the most uh, capable cap uh, equipment and, and facilities for our veterans, you know, working with the clinicians and everything like that. It, it's just, it's just very enjoyable uh, to see the, the, the fruits of our labor 
and and getting the positive feedback and the good outcomes for all our veterans. Uh, so, and, I, and there's a I lot would, of them out there. I want to I I, I want to dive into. Uh, the complexities of running kind of engineering operations, maintenance, uh, capital projects at VA when you have a, a live mission going on. Uh, bef- and, and I really want to hear about kind of your lessons learned during COVID. But before we go there, uh, just some quick highlights of your of the end of your career there. When you, you mentioned you did the Corps of Engineers, which is where we originally met. You were the deputy director for Philadelphia District, uh, USACE. Go Phillies. We were talking before the show. We're gonna we're gonna timestamp this show because fly Eagles fly absolutely. <laughs> it's uh, the Phillies are in the World Series uh, starting off this weekend, and uh, we'll see. Well, when they're this gonna airs. hear it on the over fourteenth. You know, we'll say, well, way to go, Phils, winning the World <laughs> Series, World Champs. That's 2022, right. Two thousand outstanding. <laughs> that's right. Um, so that's that's where you and I met. You were the deputy director. Give us a quick thumbnail on on your roles and responsibilities and what you learned in that role, and then and then when you deployed uh, thereafter. Um, yeah, so you know, in my twenty year career with with the Army, you know, I served many different posts, many different organizations around the world. I had opportunities to uh, engage foreign armies, foreign uh, uh, governments, uh, in supporting uh, their development in, in the different operations we were doing. Uh, when it comes to the Corps of Engineers, uh, the biggest aspect that I learned is, is the much larger long-term uh, infrastructure development, uh, particularly the civil works of our country. Uh, of course, the Corps of Engineers mandated to maintain all our uh, um, uh, navigable waterways. Uh, and, uh, of course, Philadelphia District, huge in the flood management of, of New Jersey coast as well. And Sandy had just hit right after I left. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was pretty successful in what, what uh, Corps of Engineers was able to do. Um, but, you know, when uh, people don't realize the significant support that the Corps of Engineers and, and the civilian staff provide to the uh, uh, combat side of operations, support engagement uh, in the combatant commands uh, and forward theaters, um, critical support. And it's not only the Corps of Engineers, obviously, uh, the Navy with the Civil Engineering Corps and NAFAC, and then the U.S. Air Force with their civil uh, engineering support and everything like that. All the aspects that, you know, we bring these professionals and provide that expertise, um, which is the combat multiplier that I just don't think any other Army has that capability to be able to provide that expertise and, uh, you know, unique um problem solving and uh, innovative ways of, of supporting uh, military operations in the forward theater. And so, you know, at the Corps of Engineers, I was able to learn, you know, how the Corps of Engineers works, the reach back capabilities and the services they can provide. So then when I did deploy, now I've served, I served, uh, you know, my first deployment was Somalia in 1993, uh, brand new second lieutenant right out of Ranger School, you know, Hey, uh, you're, you're now a combat platoon leader of a mechanized platoon. And, uh, oh, by the way, you're going to uh, Somalia uh, next week. And so, you know, uh, that was that was baptism by fire. Uh, <laughs> so that was my first experience uh, at the end of my career. Uh, you know, I had the, uh, uh, you know, ability to deploy to Afghanistan and support operations over there. And 
you know, the Corps of Engineers was heavily involved in supporting uh, the rebuilding of Afghanistan and supporting many of the uh, combatant visions uh, uh, around uh, the uh, the country uh, to stabilize that. And you know, it, it is that that's what engineering often brings to the combat zone, especially in many of the missions that we did over the last two decades in Iraq and Afghanistan. Uh, you know, it was seen. You know, uh, the American uh, forces were bringing some sort of stability and, and the st- infrastructure that we were providing is a symbolism of that, of that uh, uh, stability that, that we bring. And now I'm not going to get into all the politics and everything like that. That's, we don't have to hit that. I agree. Yeah, that's not my, my area of expertise. My area of expertise was providing um, analysis and, and solutions to how we can better provide and uh, provide the supporting infrastructure necessary so that uh, local all the way up to national uh, governments uh, can can provide a better services for their people. I, and, I think that's a great highlight because, you know, we, we talk about the engineering community and, and generally national infrastructure and how much it supports our economy. And, you know, I think we both saw in both Afghanistan and Iraq what a lack of infrastructure does to a community or an economy and then what bringing infrastructure does to stabilizing it. And, you know, Mm -hmm. now we talk about our ability as a nation to, to expand our infrastructure, to support an expanding economy and, and protect our, you know, whether it's protecting our tourism on the Jersey shore or anything else, you know, expanding our highway system or our rail or improving our public transportation, what that does for commerce uh, mm-hmm. which our economic stability is really the backbone of our national security. Right. No, I mean, if people are able to, you know, you know if you ask most people, they, they, they want to live a life in safety and, you know, well-being for themselves and their family. That, that, that's, that's the bottom line, what people want to do. And, and, and no so, matter where, to, to, to be clear, to put an exclamation point on that, no matter where you are in the world. That that's correct. I, I mean, I think that's that's the major premise, and and so there's a responsibility of the government uh, that they're, they're they've uh, allowed to be in in control. You know, it's it's given by the people. Um, that uh, you know, we have responsibilities, and we want to you know create those environments, and and that's the same thing I do here on the VA uh, Medical Center is create an environment that, you know, improves the lives of the people that it serves. And, um, you know, that that's what we're trying to do. And, and, you know, we bring, you know, each of us bring different expertise to to the forefront. And for as an engineer, you know, like one example in Iraq, you know, working with my uh, combat uh, brothers and sisters, um, you know, I, you don't expect an infantryman or an armor officer to understand, you know, how a, how a sewer system works. Right. However, they do see the the uh, impacts that it has on the population when uh, the sewer system keeps backing up and flooding people's houses, and and that's that's the um, deterrent, and and then can cause situations in which the people dissatisfied will take other avenues to uh, to express their concerns. Whereas, right. you know, some of the, you know, as an engineer, I was able to bring, you know, a true understanding. It wasn't just about fixing a pipe. It was understanding the distribution system and the collection system so that you were fixing the proper points along the process. So 
just fixing a pipe at the end when you have no other place for the sewage to go, you're still going to keep having the same problem. So it was bringing those highlights working together and prioritizing and, uh, you know, meeting the needs and, and, and efficiently, you know, providing those resources at the points where they need to have the most impact uh, on the, on the support of the population. Yeah. Um, so let, let's jump into, you know, the other part of an entrepreneurial public servant is stewardship of the resources that you're given and the mission that you're responsible for. Um, you and I, I'm trying to think when this was mayor Nutter had hired, uh, I think a planner and then he went over to take over the London Olympics and I yes. can't remember the name. Yeah, I'm terrible with names, but somehow I want to say Dave, Dave or David or something like that was his first name. We're going to put it in the show notes, Uh, but you and I started talking about it and it was all about this holistic uh, approach to planning and and really his vision for helping Mayor Nutter make Philadelphia better. Um, So that was the first glimpse I got into Anthony Streltz, the the hobbyist city planner. Uh, And then we were talking... I guess two, three years ago, maybe right before COVID, about your your desire to to really plant the flag at VA Long Beach and make it the best medical center you can while while it's under your purview, uh, and your holistic approach, like you started out, the the patient care journey doesn't start when they get entered into the medical system. It it starts when they step foot on your campus. Uh, so right. talk to us about what's going on now at VA Long Beach, what, what's it been like since you, since you got there and, and the, the variety of problems and leadership challenges, uh, you get to navigate every day. Well, I also want to say, you know, there was, um, uh, yes, the planner at the time under Michael Nutter, but you introduced me to Edmund Bacon. And, oh, that's right. Uh, we have the seven degrees of Kevin Bacon, that's, that's right. uh, the city planner from the 1950s for Philadelphia. And that 1950s movie that you showed me, that's my model of the visionary aspects of how to look at the bigger picture of how we integrate, you know, capabilities. And in this case, it was the city when we were looking at that and and bringing all the experts together. And so that actually what you provided me with that back then in, in 2008, 2009, when we looked at that has actually shaped me in the hmm. way I look at uh, planning when I come to campuses. And here at Long Beach, um, you know, federal facilities were inspirations at different points in our history of our country to bring together uh, uh, populations, um, even things like, like the post offices in the 1930s. Uh, with the Great Depression and the work projects that they had, they brought many of the trades folks and artisans together. And if you look at some of the 1930s Art Deco post offices that are out there, it brings all those capabilities together. And it's an enduring history of the time and in our country. And they're beautiful uh, buildings and some of the murals and things like that. I have the uh, you know pleasure of working on a campus. Um, it was originally a... Uh, U.S. Naval Hospital, and it was built in 1940. And, um, you know, it's an Art Deco design, and it was built actually, and that's the great thing about World War II. They brought the same thing happened again, and all the great artisans and architects and 
And uh, Claude Bielman, a famous architect from here in Los Angeles, built many buildings between the 30s all the way up to the uh, 60s here. And he actually designed and built this, this hospital. And so, you know, it's they, you know, when you bring those type of professionals, it's, you know, they aren't just building a hospital. Um, they have a greater vision and, and, the, and the great people who design things and, and develop, you know, have a vision of what they want to accomplish and provide uh, for a campus as inviting. And, and so I, in my many different roles that I've had, you know, I, I've traveled the world, I've, I've seen a lot of uh, different uh, architecture and things like that and, and infrastructure that, you know, it is critical that we don't build and often happens a hodgepodge of stuff because what you lose is, is two major things. Um, you lose efficiency and, um, and it becomes a confusing maze of hallways and things like that at a hospital. I'm from the East Coast. I've been many hospitals there over the ages and, you know, it confuses patients and we have the same problem here. <laughs> Not and enough so, wayfinding in the world to exactly to make so, it make so sense. One of, so one of the visions I bring here is, I, you know, the campus itself, uh, uh, there's a, uh, Portland is a, a leader in this a transit oriented campus. So the idea is you get the people here and then once they're here, they shouldn't have to be driving around or anything. It should be, we have shuttle services. We have specific pedestrian walkways. We have easy to get to locations. I mean, that's what we're developing towards. Obviously we do have right. some issues there. So, so it's bringing those concepts of planning. It's understanding uh, how you connect different spaces on a large campus, you know, collegiate uh, and university uh, campuses are great examples. Um, one of the big things I try to bring is continuity. I'm dedicated to stay here for the next 10 years because without continuity of vision, uh, again, it leads to mismanagement, mis inefficiencies. And so um, it's trying to, because everyone, every individual has their own interests, you know, right or wrong. But one of the things I find myself doing working with the executive leadership here is trying to capture everything and create a true picture of the needs across the board, not emphasizing any particular group. And, uh, you know, that, that's also enjoyable because you have some very good conversations, in-depth conversations about needs and requirements uh, for our patients, for our providers, and then overall, the mandates that may, may come down from Congress uh, and, and such to, to take care of, like, for example, a plug is we just had the new, I forget the, the, the act that just came through, but the burn pits, um, right. you know, that's a, a huge service now that we're providing to uh, diagnostic testing of our veterans because of, of the... Uh, uh, issues that burn pits have caused. I, I mean, I, in Somalia, I remember I slept right next to a burn pit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so these are the types of, so it's, it's understanding the impacts and things like that and, and making sure that we're integrating all that and understanding that. And I'm often the person who's educating other services on, you know, this is what this service is doing and, or this is what this service is doing, or this is the guidance that central office has, has provided. So, so those are many of the different things that I do as a chief engineer here. It's not just designing something. Right. 
Talk, talk to us about the complexity of the stakeholders or the, or the clinical operations at your, your hospital. Yeah, I, that, 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 that's a great um, question and coming from an observation. You know, I, I, I love a hospital. It's a mini city. And just like a city, you have diversity across the board because you have, you know, the frontline support services like janitorial services and skilled tradesmen and everything that are maintaining the hospital. Then you have administrators um, that are working the, the processes and operations to make things flow properly. Then you got, then you have the care providers, uh, the nursing staff and the physicians, and then you have the senior leadership, <clears throat> the board, you know, C-suite and other um, senior leadership that are trying to implement the mandates and different things to provide better services for, for the veterans that we serve. And then as uh, from the infrastructure side that I love so much, as a mini city, you know, we have centralized plant operations. Um, we have large electrical infrastructure. Um, we have at this facility 1.5 million square feet. So all the mechanical and electrical and plumbing services required for all that. And then we're implementing, integrating the newest technology in healthcare. Um, you know, like any hospital, we're main, we're upgrading and providing the best, you know, MRIs and CT scanners, surgical hybrid uh, ORs, and so forth and so on. Uh, cutting edge. We have great physicians here that are the best in their fields in uh, 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 thoracic surgery, in uh, cardiology, uh, uh, radiology with uh, uh, interventional radiology services and so forth and so on. Many, many different, uh, and they, they choose to work here in, in the VA because um, they, they love giving back to, to the veteran. And so, so that's what I, that's what I enjoy here at the facility is that it is so diverse that you have many different things that you're doing here. And, you know, right now the federal government, um, sees, you know, our responsibility to, to our veterans and, and our aging infrastructure and are providing funding for us to be able to improve the, that infrastructure. And that, that's really great. And also there, you know, we were coming up with some pretty innovative ways to provide services. It's not only at the medical center, it's, 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 it's being able to leverage community capabilities and integrating. And we, it's a whole different look of what, you know, seventies were with taking care of veterans. It it, we are, it's a, it's a whole health process. You know, it's not just coming in for acute care. It's, we want to make the life of a veteran better. And so it is not just a time period in their life that they come to the VA, get taken care of and leave. It's constantly engaged, reaching out and providing services. Cause we also, you know, provide many services that are uh, other uh, administrations within Department of Veterans Affairs, the the uh, Veterans Benefits Administration and the National Cemetery Administration, right? You know, us being the Veteran he uh, uh, Healthcare uh, Administration, um, you know, we provide those links. So it's it's a whole whole health 
and a lifetime of experience that they should have, not just a periodic uh, interaction. Yeah. Um, jumping a little bit, I, I want to dive into any specific leadership or project challenge or, or story that, that kind of highlights uh, from your career a leadership lesson that has served you well um, throughout your career? Well, the, one of the leadership uh, things that's inherent with military officers is constantly reevaluating um, your leadership styles, uh, the way you engage, um, you know, how you interact with people and, and so forth, and modifying and understanding, you know, how, how your actions and, and the way you interact cause others to do things. Now, in the military, you know, we were at war ranks and, it, you know, there were certain situations where it was just very easy where you just tell people to do things and they do it. <laughs> you know, in the civilian world, that's not, that's not really that, that, that simple. And, you know, so you have to moderate and, and um, it's, you know, nowadays with, with all the knowledge that people can gain, correct knowledge or incorrect knowledge sometimes, <laughs> um, you know, it, it's, it's definitely an interaction process in leadership, but the fundamentals are still there. The fundamental is one, people must respect you. They must trust you that they, that you have the best, their best interests at heart. And, um, if you, and plus you have to be very, you have to be civil. Uh, that's always key in our, our, our uh, environment that, you know, if we're, if they, if they trust you and they respect you, then the thing, you will be able to do a lot of things together and move, move and, and work through a lot of adversity and challenges, which there are, um, within our organization. You know, we have mandates, we have, um, you know, we're as the federal government, anyone and everybody can come in and look at what we do. Uh, we are heavily scrutinized and much of my time is tr providing feedback to what we are doing and addressing concerns and things like that um but you know all in all when i'm out there working and engaging and i'm going to put a plug that you know face to face meeting with people there, there's no true substitute for that we can do virtual all the time but there's eventually a time when you actually have to physically you know, come face to face with somebody, seeing their expressions in real time and, you know, feeling a sense of, of working together uh, that, uh, you know, I think through the COVID process has, has changed. Everyone thinks, oh, we can do everything virtually. And, and I think that's just not the way human beings like it. We want to congregate and work with people and interact, at least most of us, you know, there's exceptions for people that want to you know, go off and into the mountains, but, <laughs> but, but the point being is, um, that's, that's what motivates us. That's what's, that's what, you know, makes us want to do things. And so, so that's what I find myself doing as a leader is, um, understanding people, their needs, and first of all, convincing them that I understand and what, what they need. I'm empathetic with it. The, also explaining what limitations I might have because I can't deliver it right away. 
my goal is always deliver what I can, but um, developing a plan that we can agree upon and support that, that we can then achieve over a period of time working together. And the more you do that, the more respect you gain, the more trust you gain, and then it becomes easier and easier to work with different groups and such and have success. And, and that comes with, and again, you know, in, there's a lot of turnover in a lot of different companies nowadays. And then in the federal government, a lot of people are moving on and everything like that. Um, I, I can't, I can't emphasize more how important continuity and, you know, a, a particular vision and someone maintaining that over a period of time creates uh, a sense of stability and yeah. people want stability. Um, but you can't be complacency. I think we were just discussing that right. at the very beginning. It can't be complacency. It has to be, we've always keep moving forward, but we got to keep moving forward in some similar direction. If we keep, you know, um, tacking left and right, you know, all it does is just everyone's head and they get all dizzy and right. everything like that for lack of term. And, and it just becomes very frustrating and, um, you know, then people get anxious and there's a lot of resistance and stuff. And then when people are turning over, there's no trust or respect that's built up. That takes time. That is not yeah. an instantaneous thing. Um, a lot of richness there. You, you started out with reevaluation, you know, consistently reevaluating. And I, I do think that's, I mean, you talked about it from a personal leadership style and skills and, you know, what's working, what's not working. You know, when we talk about AARs, uh, that come from the, the military and I agree, like, I think that is how you establish that continuity without becoming complacent is a consistent kind of eye on the long-term vision while, um, iteratively getting there and evaluating, where are we, what have we accomplished? What haven't we accomplished? How are we triaging or prioritizing to move on to the, you know, the next phase, if you will. Um, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. So if you're not, if you're not constantly reevaluating using after action reviews or root cause analysis or whatever, yep. um, lean method yeah. you want to use to, to evaluate what's going on and then making adjustments. If you aren't doing that, you aren't leading. All you're doing is just going with the flow. And, um, you know, one of the quotes, uh, again, I don't know, I'm terrible with names, but you know, not making a decision is making a decision. Right. right. And and leaders need to be decisive. They need to know when they need to make decisions and ensure they have the uh, best information they can. But not, that's not always the case. But also, you know, I, I'm never afraid to make a decision. And then because I know that I'm constantly going to be evaluating and I am confident in my team that we can adjust and have flexibility that we can you know, constantly, um, you know, adjust changes to get going in the right direction. One of the things that, again, my military career taught me, the American army, and I'm going to just say it hands down is the best army in the world. And the reason we're the best army in the world is not because we have the most money and the best equipment. You know, we have the best trained soldiers in the world. And the reason why the Russians failed and Ukraine, and I don't want to be political, but, you know, you know, I saw it when I was in Bosnia, 
uh, they were just, you know, the, the NCOs in their organization are just people with, and I'm not here to bad mouth, but I mean, I'm just telling you my experience uh, with rank, uh, but they were just all doers. We have a program of leadership training in the military that constantly bounces between academic education and practical application and at different levels, continually going up, 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 up. And that gives the ability of that organization to constantly review and evaluate how we do things and be able to be adaptive and, and, and uh, adjust when it's required to meet the mission need. And that's the same thing that I'm doing here in my organization. We've got to make decisions to move on. However, we've got to constantly be monitoring and evaluating it and be able to adjust as needed. And it's not because we didn't do very good planning um, right. because we don't have crystal balls. But what it is, is creating an organization that has the flexibility and capability to adjust so that we can meet the mission and in any, any type of mission. So that's, that's some of the, uh, and, and we try, I try to mentor that in my subordinates and we constantly have professional training that balances between technical and professional, uh, uh, you know, leadership improvements. So, uh, but the, the, the army and well, actually the, you know, the Navy, the, any armed right, forces military. with all our infrastructure, that's what we do the best. And that's why everyone comes to us because we're able to do that. And, uh, so I'm very proud to be, a, you know, the army. Inspiring People in Places is brought to you by MCFA. MCFA is a CVE verified service disabled veteran owned small business. At MCFA, our why is to inspire people in places through project leadership. We provide planning, strategy, program management, and construction management support services to a wide variety of public and private sector clients. You hit a quote. We didn't have the... the do you have a favorite quote? We're going to do, do some, I have rapid a favorite fire, quote? some rapid fire questions here. Yeah, quote. I know. One of my favorite quotes, and if I can, you know, again, I'm terrible with, I, I sometimes paraphrase. But um, one of, you know, there, there are, you know, many different expressions and things like that. But one of my favorite ones is actually from Robert F. Kennedy. I believe it was Robert F. Kennedy. He, he said, you know, and I'm slightly paraphrasing, um, but, you know, so, some, some people have dreams and wonder why. And I have dreams and, and say, why not? And, and so I love people with vision to, to, and, and that's not everybody. You got to know where you're going and then you got to bring people along and that's leadership and, um, understanding the needs of everybody. And, um, what people often miss is they can have one particular thing that they want to do, but they don't see the interaction between right. those different things that they're trying to do. And that's vision. That's the unseen ability of the interaction of those and how all those things tie together. And when you go to certain different places and when it comes to infrastructure, um, you see, hey, someone here had vision, vision. And then you go to other places and like, what the hell is going on here? I don't know if I'm allowed to say that word. On, on, yeah, absolutely. On but but, you know, it's like who who is in charge? Because it doesn't look like anyone's in charge. So 
you know, I live in Irvine, California, and that's a master planned uh, city and it's well laid out. And a lot of people love living there. And there's a lot of different aspects about the city and it, and you can tell how, how it was well planned. And, and that, that was going back to when you and I were watching that video of Edmund Bacon and how Philadelphia is laid out. And, you know, there are some things that aren't working as well as it should, but you could see how a good laid out city can really create an environment for the population to flourish and love where they live. Yeah. Moving from quotes to books, must read book. <laughs> oh, oh, geez. Um, when it comes to, to reading, uh, my reading was more of mandatory requirements as opposed <laughs> to pleasure per se. But uh, I'll tell you, one of the books, you know, I was always fascinated with um, a soldier story by uh, Omar Bradley. And, and the reason why I say that is because what I was really interested in is dynamics of leadership. Um, and in that, uh, Omar Bradley, you know, who was very close to both Eisenhower and Patton. And of course, you know, Patton immortalized everyone in the military. Most people in the military really idolized uh, General Patton. But obviously he had certain leadership styles and it, it, it you know, uh, push people in the wrong direction in some cases. Right. And but Omar Bradley, in his ability as a leader, was able to first as a subordinate to General Patton and then his uh, superior was able to um, take the best of what Patton could do and apply it in a productive manner that that really provided a great service to the allies in his ability to lead on the battlefield and such. And so, um, you know, and that was over, you know, four or five years of, you know, start of World War II with Operation Torch all the way until, until uh, you know, VE Day. Um, so, you know, but, you know, he also, what was really good, it was his friendship that he had with, uh, with General Patton and Eisenhower to be able to do that. And so that's something that I take you have to create relationships and understandings of the different people that you work with both above and below you. And he adjusted his ability to interact and communicate with the different types of people to get the best out of them. And that's, that's as a leader, we've got the, again, going on reflection and looking back at how you do things um, and how what you do impacts the way other people do and react to you and, and, and what they do um, and the way they do it, you know. So it's constantly evaluating and then adjusting and interaction with people. And, and I think, you know, to the point of understanding people and, and building that relationship back to the, you know, you can't, you can't really do that remote. <laughs> right. um, so you, you really have to be in person to some degree to build those to really build those relationships. Uh, last question before we wrap up, dead or alive, if you could hang out with three people for a day, who would they be? What would you do? Um, okay, so so one of the great engineers that I would like to hang out with was Kingdom Burnell. Um, he was a great English uh, inventor and engineer, uh, you know, kind of a Renaissance man. So um, 
that uh, you know he built some wonderful bridges and railroads and had you know innovative ways of doing tunneling and different things like that and so he he was he he he's someone I would have uh, definitely liked to met and understood his, how he thinks and everything. Um, let's see. <laughs> um, well, again, I've always, like I said, I've always been enamored with George S. Patton, and um, I think, you know, th through my life, you know, I've read different books about him. Of course, there's the movie, of course, and then. Um, different leadership things and and it would it would be he was able to take the rawest troops and then you know they were able to accomplish the the greatest you know military achievements in our our lifetime uh, arguably and you know just understanding not to totally emulate but just to understand you know the different ways of how he did that uh, would would be very interesting. So I, I think that's that. And then um, I, I don't know I, the third one. I don't know. Maybe maybe I would drop into history, you know, way back when, and maybe uh, you know with Caesar, uh, you know, find out what actually happened in the in the forum, <laughs> or or if you go with uh, you know uh, Gen um, uh, Alexander the Great on his trek across. Uh, you know, the, the step and see how, you know, how, what it was like then and stuff like that, you know, some historical figure, I'm just going to leave it some really right. significant historical figure, uh, to, to see whether, whether history was true or not. <laughs> <laughs> so awesome. Uh, and then last question, uh, what do you want your legacy to be? How do you want to be remembered? What do you want on your tombstone? Yeah, I, ha I haven't thought about my epitaph, but but when it comes to just my legacy, um, you know, I I want to leave it. That was a I was a Boy Scout when I was young, and so you always the, one of the mottos was leave, leave a place better than where you found it. And um, here at the VA Long Beach, you know, I keep telling my folks, I say, listen, right now, every time we look at what's here, we go. Why didn't they think about that? You know, why didn't they do it this way? You know, what I'm hoping, like 10 years when I finally retire and everything like that, that I hope the people that come after us, what they're going to be able to say is, I'm glad they thought about that. <laughs> you know, that's 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 what, you know, I'm glad they did it this way. And and so um, that's kind of like the general thing that I've left it better than 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 the way I found it. And. You know, I, I, I can't, you know, I, I believe I, I have certain visions and I bring certain special talents and everything like that. And I hope the people I work with and, and when I leave, you know, they, they reflect on the, the interactions and the time that they've spent with me in a good way, as opposed to, you know, I don't want to ever see that person again. And well, I, I think that's all you can ask for. Speaking from experience, having worked with you at the Philly District and, and knowing that you left that place better than you found it uh, and what you're doing at VA Long Beach, uh, I, from my viewpoint, you're, you're accomplishing the mission and you're accomplishing your legacy. Last, uh, last I appreciate minutes, those kind comments, PJ. And, you're welcome. And of course, right back at you. Uh, thank you. Um, 
Last is our audience is, is pretty diverse. We've got people listening that are just starting on their engineering career to senior executives on the public side and private side. Uh, any, any parting words of wisdom for, for all of the engineers and, and constructors and architects out there? Well, you know, as a father, you know, I'm going through this right now with my, my kids and, and starting off their careers. Uh, the, the first thing is uh, it's you that has to make the decision. Um, you should not be doing it just because someone else wants you to do it. Because um, unless it's you really your passion, it's got to be for you. Because if it's not, um, you're going to end up miserable. <laughs> you know, you're, you're trying to, it's not fulfilling everyone else's dream. It's filling your dream. So if, you know, you got to really reflect again, it's all about reflection. It's about looking back and understanding yourself and where you want to go and, and really thinking about that. And if you really think about it, what passion, what drives you and everything like that. I mean, I, I found that what drives me is, is, is building and problem solving and bringing to bear all the resources to provide, you know, something physically substantial, you know, structure. And so that's what drives me. And I love it. And I love working with many different people. So it's, you might be going into engineering because that's what your dad was or your mother was or whoever. Um, you've got to know for yourself that that is your passion. And now it may take some time. You have to try different things and everything like that. And, and it's, um, you know, my son is still trying to figure out exactly what he wants to do. He started with mechanical engineering, then was economics, and they learned he wasn't very good at math. So then, <laughs> then he went to uh, uh, business, and he, he loves teaching. Um, and and so so it, you know, it's 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 evolving, but it's got to be for you and not anybody else. And and finding that out could be a long road. Some people, for me, luckily. Um, I knew that I wanted to be in some sort of engineering type thing. And over my college career, you know, it came to fruition and then I was able to marry it up both with my, um, you know, want to be in the military and then now working in healthcare. Awesome. Anthony, uh, thank you for your time, for sharing your leadership experience in the month of November. We want to thank you for your for your military service as a veteran and uh, especially as your continued service to our veterans at the VA uh, Long Beach. Thanks so much. Yeah, BJ, I appreciate the opportunity. I thank you for your service as well. And uh, I had fun doing this. This is, this is great. Thanks awesome. For, uh, thanks for staying on, uh, <laughs> you know, getting me involved. Appreciate Persistence. It. You got yeah. it. Thanks, everybody. Have a uh, great week and a great weekend. Hey, everybody. If you're enjoying this show, do us a favor and subscribe to Inspiring People and Places on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast hosting platform. We'd also greatly appreciate if you left us a review and shared this with other entrepreneurial public servants and all your friends and family in the AEC space. Be sure to visit our website, www.mcfaglobal.com. Sign up for our newsletter to stay in touch with us and learn about all of the projects and clients we're helping. Last but not least, we are hiring. We are always hiring. Do us a favor. Take a look at what jobs we have open. Contact us through our website or connect with me on LinkedIn. Until next time, have a great rest of your week and a great weekend.